Our main scripture this morning comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> if you would like to be turning there, um, as I was preparing for this message, um, a couple of things stood out to me. Number one, the fact that the word holy is sometimes considered a bad word nowadays. Um, we can talk about God as being holy. We can talk about Christ as being holy. But for some reason, when we try to transition that word to referring to human beings, we're not supposed to do that. Um, being holy is seen as a bad thing somehow. And I think that negative connotation that the word holy carries is pretty much from the world. Um, but I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, you are called to be holy. And that's really not negotiable. And something I need to mention, um, holiness is, is not sinless perfection, okay? Those two things are not really synonymous. The word holy means consecrated, set apart, special. Now, when we are instructed to be holy, yes, God knows that we are humans and we are incapable of sinless perfection. But oddly enough, He still calls us to be holy. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And, and I'll be quite frank, um, I have, I've struggled this week, not, not really with the message, but with um, my fitness to share this message. Um, the more I studied, the more I, I saw my own sin and shortcomings. And the more I realized my own need for repentance. And, and I want everybody to know that this is you know, coming from a, a place of love and kindness, not anger or judgment. Um, any sermon that is preached on holiness is preached by a hypocrite. I hope everybody's aware of that. Um, unless Jesus is the one delivering the sermon, if you hear a, a sermon on holiness, the person who's speaking is a hypocrite. That's the bottom line. Um, and that's an unusual word, hypocrite. Um, in, in Greek society, it was used to describe the masks that actors wore when they would go from being sad to happy. Um, it's like having two faces. But as we walk through this um, 
please, please try not to focus on me or your neighbor or your spouse, <clears throat> but rather what God's Word says. In Leviticus, <clears throat> I don't know if anybody is, um, remembers, <laughs> but it, as I have had opportunity to speak, I've tried to, tried to walk through the Bible starting in Genesis. Um, and I haven't gone verse by verse, but really chapter by chapter. But I did skip a large portion of the book of Leviticus. Because, you know, Leviticus and Numbers especially, they're kind of hard to preach out of. <laughs> um, there's a lot of dense information. And it's hard to know how to handle that. But I realized that I skipped over what was probably one of the most important lessons that the Old Testament has to teach us. In Leviticus chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, I'm, I'm sure most of you already know that Leviticus is a book of laws. Um, <clears throat> there's laws on everything. It, it told the people how to worship, how to live with their neighbors, um, what to do when they sin, you know, what sacrifices to make, um, how they were to welcome foreigners. Every aspect of Israeli life was touched on in the book of Leviticus. It tells you how to do all this stuff. And the reason, you know, the, the crux of the book of Leviticus is the holiness of God and the set-apartness of God's people. And the holiness that we are instructed to be a part of is required because God is holy. And the expectation is that His people should be holy as well. And, you know, standing back, you know, 2,000, 2,500 years after Christ, I'm sorry, 2,000, um, we, we have a little bit of perspective. And the question comes up, why did God give the children of Israel all these laws when you know Christ was going to come anyway why, why did they have the law and the law was given as a mirror or a plumb line to show the Israelites their need and to show us our need as well for salvation and, and secondly it was to show the rest of the world a different and better way of living life. Everything about a Hebrew was different. The way they dressed, their hair, the crops they grew, the animals they raised, the houses they lived in, the way they prepared their meals. Everything about the Hebrews were different. And that difference was dictated because God set them apart. 
told them to be holy, to be separate, to be consecrated. <clears throat> you know, everything about the Jewish people screams, I'm different. And that difference was to attract other people. You know, God didn't tell them to, to be this way just so they could live in their own enclave all by themselves. <clears throat> it was supposed to be a message to the rest of the world. There's a better way of life. And that life is found in communion with the one true God. And, and yes, God did call the Israelites as His chosen people but everyone was welcome at God's table in Isaiah chapter 56 verses 6 and 7 and I'm going to paraphrase this God says that foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him to love the name of the Lord who honor the Sabbath who hold fast to my covenant I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy their sacrifices will be accepted for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So there is a call to holiness. <clears throat> and by, by way of illustration about how serious God is about this holiness, I, I want to mention two episodes that happen in the Old Testament. One of them is from Leviticus chapter 10. If you want to turn back there, you can and read, read the whole account. But Aaron's sons... Um, what were their names? Abihu and uh, what? Nadab. Nadab yes. <clears throat> it says they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Now, they were serving at the temple. And their job was to light incense. But they did it at the wrong time. In the wrong way. And does anybody know what happened to them? God struck them dead. They were at church. They were serving in church. And God still killed them. That seems a little bit out of character, doesn't it? For what we've been taught about God. Let's look at one other episode um, that comes from 2 Samuel chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> and in this account, a man named Uzzah, I believe that's how that's pronounced, was struck dead because he touched the Ark of the Covenant. And that seems like a very far-reaching overreaction on God's part. From our perspective, um, Especially when we know that the circumstances surrounding it, the, they were transporting the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. And the ox that was pulling the cart slipped. And in order to keep the Ark of the Covenant from falling off of the cart, he reached his hand out to keep it on the cart. Well, God killed him. Because nobody's supposed to touch the ark. On the Ark of the Covenant, there were four rings, one in each corner. And they had staves or poles that were supposed to fit through these rings. And the priests 
were supposed to carry the ark on their shoulder so that it did not have to be touched. And we read these stories and we think, well, well, why did God do that? He was just trying to keep it from falling over. Would God have rather it fallen over? Well, that's really not the point. The point is, God is holy. And He tells us certain ways of doing things. Just like He told the children of Israel how they were supposed to carry the ark. But they were disobedient. And it cost a man his life. Because God is holy. They told them how they were supposed to worship. And they didn't pay attention and did it the way they wanted to. And it cost two men their lives. And something we need to learn from that is we need to be very clear that God made us for Him. Okay? We did not make God for us. God's the one that's in control. God is the one that is the standard by which we gauge everything else. His holiness is what we are to strive for. God is very serious about not only His holiness, but the holiness of His people. And, and maybe a question that some of you are asking at this point <clears throat> is, so what? That's in the Old Testament. And we don't follow Mosaic law. No, we don't. Um, however, the holiness of God does not change. And the expectation of God's people to be holy does not change. So what are we to do in this circumstance? Um, I don't think we can just throw this out. Uh, if anyone was <clears throat> paying attention a few weeks ago, um, Jacob shared a passage out of 1 Peter that quotes Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. So the call to holiness didn't end in the book of Malachi. The call to holiness didn't end when Christ came and died and was resurrected. It's still there is still in place. The expectation that we be holy is still there. So how are we supposed to be holy? If, if we're not going to follow Mosaic Law, how can we demonstrate our separateness or our consecration? Um... And we, we don't have time. I mean, that's, that's a big subject to cover. Um, and we don't have time to, to get into all of those aspects. But a couple of things that we need to be aware of. And two points 
that I need to make about how we, as Christ followers in today's world right now, can be holy. And both of them come from the words of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus is speaking. <clears throat> and He says, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. And that's where all of our holiness, whether you are unsaved or you've been a Christian for most of your life, your holiness starts with repentance and belief. And, and I'm sure everybody here has heard this before. That command, repent and believe, it's not something that happens once upon a time. Yes, your initial salvation experience, you might be able to point to a date when it happened. But the intent of the words that Jesus used was that continually you repent and continually you believe. It's something that happens for the rest of your life. Not just something that happened once upon a time. When... <clears throat> Repentance and belief should be a continual, lifelong occurrence. So, that begs the question, um, what does it look like in everyday life? Um, and again, we need, we need to look to the words of Jesus to understand a little bit better what is expected of us. The first expectation is to repent and believe. And I think very close on the heels of that, uh, we can look at Mark chapter 12. And Jesus is asked, uh, what is the greatest commandment? What is the one thing that everybody needs to hear and understand? And Jesus' response was this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I don't know about everybody else in here, but that seems to me like a very tall order. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And I would, I would wager that no one in this room has done that perfectly. But there is still the expectation that we should do that. And, and I don't want this to be a discouragement in, in any way. Um, and I, I've already mentioned the fact that sinless perfection is not possible. And, and that is correct. 
But you know what? That doesn't mean that we don't try. And before I have used the illustration of, you know, following in your father's footsteps. I remember, you know, going to the beach, you know, and seeing dad's footprints in the sand. I remember following him out to the barn when he was feeding the horses, seeing his footprints in the snow. And regardless of where you have seen your dad's footprints, at some point, if you were a child following him, you tried to step in his footsteps. And, you know, that's not really possible. A six-year-old cannot match the stride of a six-foot, two-inch adult. It's just not going to happen. But, you know, you try anyway. And sometimes you have to jump from one step to the next, and sometimes you fall down. And I can remember being at the beach and falling down, you know, and You know, Dad didn't get mad when I fell. He would turn around and come back, and he would brush the sand off of me, you know, get it out of my eyes, and give me a hug, tell me it was going to be okay. And then he would go back to walking to wherever we were going. And I would go back to trying to follow in his footsteps. And I hope everybody understands that's, that's the picture of us following God. He tells us to follow Him. You walk in my footsteps. You don't worry about what your brother or sister's doing. You don't worry about what your neighbor's doing, your spouse, anybody else. You follow me. And no, you may not be able to hit every footstep just exactly right. And yes, you're going to fall down. But you get up and you follow me. That's holiness. Because we try to follow our Savior. If you repent and believe, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you will be holy. And holiness, holiness is not a contest. Okay? You don't start out your week thinking, okay, I can do better than those people I work with. Or I can do better than the people I go to school with. Or, well, I might have sinned in one certain way, but at least I didn't do what David did last week. Holiness is not a a contest. And we are not supposed to compare ourselves to other human beings. Because other human beings 
are just as sinful as we are. The comparison we need to make is between us and God. He's the plumb line. He's the standard by which our holiness should be measured. And if we don't measure up, which we won't, we chase after Him harder. We don't give up and say, well, you know, I'll never be able to do it. So I'm just not going to try. And I would challenge you this morning, if you've ever thought that, if you've ever thought that, you know, I'm just not going to try to be any better. I'm not going to try to do what Jesus has told me to do because I'm not good at it and, you know, I'm just a sinful human being. I would almost question your salvation at that point. Because someone who has known the love of God <clears throat> understands that yeah just like you when you were a kid at six years old trying to follow in your dad's footsteps no you're not going to do everything perfect but you chase after him as hard as you can So now what? And I, I don't, I, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings or be judgmental or angry. And that may have happened. But that was never my intent. But what do we do with all this information? Knowing that God is supremely holy. And that we are called to that same holiness. I know when I was studying this, I looked at my own life and I saw that I stood in need of repentance. And I'm sure if you look hard enough at yourself, you will see that same need. So what needs to happen now is that you need to repent and believe. Either for the first time in salvation, or as a Christian believer, you need to repent and keep believing. And it doesn't need to happen when you get home. It doesn't need to happen tomorrow morning, or maybe next week. It needs to happen right now. Right now. There needs to be a change. Because if you put it off another week, it's not going to happen. We all need to be more holy. That is unquestionable. And the way we do that is to chase after our Savior. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it starts right now. As our musicians come <clears throat> to have a hymn of invitation, I encourage you, if you if you have a clear picture of yourself and you understand your need for repentance and belief, and you know that you need 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now is the time to start. 